0: I don't have time for this. I was thinking about what that means when we say that. I remember saying, I don't have time for this, and it was in the middle of our living room. I was talking to my wife, and the day had started so crazy. It led up to this moment where I was just like, I mean, I don't have time for this. It was one of those days that was, like, from the very beginning, it was just, like, jumping into a crazy uh just day of chaotic busyness. Like it just it was it just took me along like a river. I ran into a meeting, had to jump out of that meeting into another meeting, had to go uh make sure to get some study done. I, ha- I had people that were texting me all day for things that were really important that were needed. We had deadlines. I was helping people figure things out. It was like human people issues and, and counseling and pastoring. It was like problem solving. It was, uh, you know, future things uh, that we're excited about that we want to have, good things, wonderful things, challenging things. But it was like one of those days where it was just all converging on a week that had already had a ton of stuff. It was just one of those weeks. You guys had one of those weeks? before it's not just to man it was uh it was crazy and um I went through the whole day it was just like barely having time to get gas for air a gas for air and then and keep going and then by the end of the day it was probably like four thirty five um And uh, it was a long day And me and my wife were in the living room And and I've got the kids with with me And my wife's like Look it, I've got to go Get something I'm on on an errand We've got Novella's got T-ball tonight And then we've got Community group And I'm, I'm having some people Come over just for a little bit So I need the house cleaned um, so could you clean all these toys? And my, you know, my son's toys are strewn about the living room. My daughter's got all her stuff. And then all my books and things that have accrued and accumulated throughout the day are there. And my wife's like, I really need this clean. And, uh, and then I need you to help get the kids ready to go. So like when I get home, they're ready to go. And uh, I was like, yep, got it, no problem, yeah, it's been that kind of a day, we'll make sure, bump, bump, bump. And then when she left, the door uh, shut, all of a sudden, I just got this barrage of new texts, like, could you help with this, and then, oh, we had this crisis, and this thing, and then I, I, I had a bunch of emails that came in that I needed to be answered, people, it was time sensitive, so I started doing these things, putting out some fires uh, for people, and it, it, was, it just was relentless, and... Um, my kids are playing and I'm getting this stuff and I'm working on some sermon at the same time and it, this is like the last day of the week where I'm trying to get everything done so I can have a, a day where I'm with my, with my family and we, do some, we, we take a day off and I'm trying to get it all done and also my wife walks back in and I was like, this is like two minutes it felt like to me and she's like, uh, what happened? I'm like, what do you mean? What happened? She's like, you told me you'd have the house clean and the kids ready to go. I've got to go. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I was like, looked and it was like it had been longer than 30 minutes, and I hadn't done anything. I would just looked at her. And I said, honey, I just don't have time for this. I'm so sorry. And she just gave me that look. You know that look? Just kind of like the head tilts back a little bit, and I had that look that said, I don't have time for your face right now. And uh, I knew I had misspoken and uh, I had to walk it back. And uh, that day just progressed. And then that evening, I was like looking at the next day. I was like, man, there's still stuff that needs to get done. And uh, I got to start in the morning and I was starting to plan the day already. And and all of a sudden I got this call from Pastor Scott and he said, "Um, there's a family. I don't know them well. They just lost their daughter. She's a little girl. I I think we need to go visit them tomorrow morning. And like my whole day my all my worries all my you know frustrations all the anxieties all the time that I you know didn't have all of a sudden just like just faded to the background you know because my little girl was just about to go to bed and she's in the house and I've got my family and and there's there's a family I don't know where they stand with God. I don't know what's going on, but they've had this incredible loss. And all of a sudden, just the reality of what's really important became really important. You ever had a moment like that? It just kind of wakes you up. It's like the smelling salts of the soul. Of the soul. Like, whoa, um, my hope is that this sermon series would be like a, a moment in this year where we could just stop for a second in this world that like, hey, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for you. I don't have time for my family. I don't have time for worship. I don't have time for, I'm just, it's so busy that, that, that we would stop and for a moment this year focus in on what is most important. And this is just as much for me as it is for anybody. um. That's my hope. That's my hope for this. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Would you speak to our hearts? Uh, Would you keep this stage upright? (laughs) Would you just give us a time together where we could be real, where we could have fun, but Lord, we could also... Uh, open our hearts enough to to learn and to be humble and to change uh, what needs changing. Would you challenge us where we need challenging us? Uh, Would you encourage us where we need encouragement in our life? And uh, help us to see what you see, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Brene Brown says, time is the big, precious, renewable, unrenewable resource. Like, you can't get it back. How many of you guys know that time is precious? Like, Time is like the new currency. We live in this, I mean, the world that we live in is insane. Moving at this insane pace and it's only getting faster and and people feel like they're getting more and more behind, not further and further ahead. Even though we have more technology, even though we have more at our fingertips, more information, more knowledge, more uh, people on the planet than ever. And it's like people feel farther behind. It's insane, this world we live in. And uh, uh, Brene Brown says, time is the big, precious unrenewable resource you can't buy back time you just can't you can't buy back, back time that you need or that you felt you wasted or felt like could have been spent but you can't get it back once it's gone it's gone uh, there's a there's a finite uh aspect of time and 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 I think we live in an age where people feel so far behind and when when we say I don't have time for this or that I don't, I don't think we realize that when we say that or when I say that in my living room to my wife that I'm, I'm making a value statement. I'm saying that I do have time for these things. I just don't have time for this. I'm saying no to this because I'm saying yes to this. And the question I really want to focus in on today is what are we saying yes to? What are we saying that we have time for? Because we certainly can figure out quickly what we're saying no to, what we're saying I don't have time for. Uh, Jesus speaking to people who are filled with worry, anxiety, um, the pressures of of time, constraint. He's speaking to people who are learning to be disciples, learning to follow in the way of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, which is going to be a primary text for us this morning. So you can turn there if you have your Bible. Um, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be starting in verse 25. If you don't have your Bible, pull out your Bible app, pop it up, or you can follow up on the screen. And, um,. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. In this series, we're gonna while you're finding your, your place in scripture, we're going to be kind of zooming in, kind of like a camera will zoom in on the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, where he's teaching us, like, how do we handle uh, finding rest in this restless, exhausted world? How do we learn to take ownership of our life rather than blaming and giving ownership of our life away to everything else and, and not being, the, not being um, empowered enough to say, no, this is my life, I'm going to own it. Like, how do we learn how to do this in a Jesus way, not just the way the world says? Um, Because the way I look at the values and priorities of of the world we live in, it's multiple. And if you look at it, no one's getting happier. So I want to zoom in on Jesus, and then we'll zoom out at times and look at a few other characters in Scripture and see, like, what does God have to say about, like, a world that says, I don't have time for this. Picking up in verse 25, it says this. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you. Therefore, I tell you. It's like, not what the world tells you, not what your grandma tells you, not what, you know, uh, this book, that book tells you. I tell you. says, Jesus, don't worry about your life. You ever had someone tell you not to worry about your life? You're like in your twenties, your mid twenties, you're between you know twenty and thirty, and like this is the time where everyone tells you like this is where you lay the foundation of your life. The rest of your life will be successful or unsuccessful based on how successful your you know your twenties are. And and you you tell someone like in their twenties, don't worry about your life. You know they'll it'll just like raise the level of worry in them, right? Like, what school am I going to go to? What major am I going to have? Is that major going to be worth the paper it's printed on when I get it, um, for, you know, for a major that might not have any value in the world, like, or maybe it has value to people who like to talk about value, but not to value who have money they can pay you for valuable things. And, you know, so what am I going to do? How am I going to, who am I going to marry? How's my family going to go? Or like, hey, life took a turn and I'm, I've already got a family. So what do I, what do I do? And, and, and yet, Jesus tells us who have worry and anxiety, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. That's a pretty bold statement to us. Don't worry about what you'll eat, about what you'll drink, about your body, uh, about what you'll wear. Don't worry about your status. Don't worry about like, uh, you know, the, there's health crazes. And in our, in our culture, I mean, Jesus is, you know, 2,000 years ago, we're getting you know, lessons from a, a guy who was teaching 2,000 years ago. It's easy for the world to say this is irrelevant. Does it really have relevance for today? But don't we live in a world that is more worried about body image than ever? For both men and women, but, but gals, especially the world you live in, there are pressures put on, um, on body image that cause immense amounts of anxiety. Is this not true? And Jesus puts his finger right on the pressure points in our culture, in our life. Well, how does he do that? How does he know even like 2,000 years ago what the human heart will struggle with uh, while we live on this earth? He goes on to say, isn't life more than food and the body more than, uh, more than clothing? Uh, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet, now hone in here. If you've got your Bible, underline this. Your, yet your heavenly Father feeds them Aren't you worth more than they? Um, worth has a sneaky way of being, is, uh, worth has a sneaky way of being tied to um, worry. Often when people are worried, they're having self-worth problems. Jesus is lifting that up. He's, help, he's kind of lifting the hood and saying, hey, here's what's going on in you in people around you. And all this worry about what you're going to have, what you're going to do, what you're going to be, what you're going to look like, who your friends are going to be, all that worry, all that anxiety. He just lifts the hood and he says like there's a self-worth problem because you're finding your worth in these other things. You're not finding your worth in God. You're not, you're not letting him place value on you. You're saying my value is placed on me by that advertisement, by that person, by that ex boyfriend that, you know, that I dumped years ago, but his voice keeps ringing back into my life, and I'm finding my value about how I look, about how, how, uh, what I achieve, and what I do. Worth is often tied to what we worry about. Aren't you? And, and Jesus just says, All right, Look at the birds. Like, just time out. Stop worrying for a second. Look at me. Now, look at the birds. He's like, okay, Jesus. You know, he's like one of those hippies before his time. Peace, love, and dope. Um, you can see Jesus just looking out of the crowd. Some of you guys were really excited. You're like, it's legal here. And um, look at the birds. And Jesus says, look, it, they're doing Okay except for that one. That one got eaten by a fox. Ignore that one. That one's good. And he says, aren't you worth more than they? To who? To who? Aren't you worth more than they? To God. You have immeasurable worth to God. And our worry often is tied to feelings of unworthiness, striving, proving, proving, you're more valuable. You have so much worth. Isn't that incredible that he would just, Jesus would just sit people down and like and just in the natural world around them, just look around you. He's, he's saying the signs of God's goodness and love are all around you, and you're blind to it. You can't see how much God loves you. And all you have to do is look at something as simple as the birds, and you'll know how much you're worth to God. He says, can any of you add one single moment to his life? By worrying, can you add a moment to your lifespan? Can you add a moment of joy? Can you add a moment, a take back from a, a moment or a word or a, an action that happened? Can you, by worrying and you know, running it through your head over and over and over, can you add one minute to your life, one moment of joy? The answer is no. Absolutely not. I want, I want to read you guys a few statistics I found uh, um, enlightening, a little depressing um but definitely but definitely enlightening the USA America were mo- almost more stressed than anybody in any nation most americans 55% recall feeling stressed during much of the day in 2018 this is uh, a a a poll that had been taken by gallup these are uh, statistics from from gallup uh that's more than all but three other countries so We are leading the world, with the exception of three other countries in the world. We are leading the world in feeling stressed and anxious and worried. Nearly half of Americans felt worried, which is 45%. More than a fifth, 22%, felt angry. Because when you're worried about something, you're anxious about something, you can't do anything about the thing you're anxious about and worried about, what happens next? You get resentful and angry. So, like, there's this low-grade rage going on underneath people that comes out once in a while, like on the freeway, or at home when you're chopping something up, you know. What, but it, it comes out in people. Americans' uh, stress increased, also topping the global average by 20 percentage points. Even as America's economy roared, more Americans were stressed, angry, and worried last year than they have been at, at most points during the past decade. I read that, I was just like, this is so true. But it was, like I said, kind of depressing. Like, goodness. We live in a world, think about this, where we have more prosperity. And when I say prosperity, I mean like, Uh, flourishing well-being health finances there's there's more access to that that stuff more uh, access to a a a higher level of well-being in our country than it's been for a long time we live in a day and age where we have more at our fingertips than the world has ever dreamed of having and yet we are less happy than ever we in fact are leading the world in unhappiness and in worry and anger and then even in pain this was another interesting thing uh we're where 66% feel pain Americans were more stressed than residents of Chad the world's saddest and most pain-stricken population like places that are that are war-torn and losing and uh, all kinds of things and they they don't have what we what we have here in America we are we feel more pain how's that even possible Two-thirds were worried, uh, excuse me, two-thirds there felt worried and 66% felt physical pain. Well, we are more stressed than anybody. More stressed than anybody. Um, How is it possible that a country that has so much freedom, is leading the world in, in technology and technological advances, has... Uh, Is better educated than most places in the world. How is it possible for us to be the leading the world in worry, stress, and anxiety, and anger, and pain? Well, Jesus, two thousand years ago, is teaching, and he knows the human heart better than we understand it today. We look at it's so easy for Americans and for educated people to look back on like, well, two thousand years ago, those uneducated people have kind of like this historical snobbery. Like, what do they know? You know, it's like when Seattle people are talking to, like, someone from the Midwest about coffee. Well, mm, yes. Uh, Folgers does sound good. You know, like. And we'll look back on the days of Jesus and be like, oh, you know, he knew a lot then for that that time. Man, Jesus puts his finger right on the problem. At the beginning of verse 25, it says, therefore, I tell you. I've always been taught when I read the Bible that when there's a therefore, you want to see why the therefore, what the therefore is therefore. You guys learned that? So if you back up one verse, Jesus explains all of this. Why we live in a culture that is, which has more than anybody and yet is more unhappy than anybody. Uh, why Jesus is addressing the worry and anxiety and how it's tied to worth and all this stuff. Where does this come from? Why are we struggling with this? Jesus explains it here in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. No one can serve two masters. We live in this world where it's so fragmented. Our hearts are fragmented. Our hearts are divided between this and that, or like this and a million other things. And so Jesus is saying, if you have a divided heart, a divided mind, you don't know what you want. You want this, you want that, you want this. And you start trying to quench your thirst by drinking all these different kinds of like salt waters and it's never going to satisfy and you can't focus on one thing. We live in a world that can't focus on one thing we don't know what our true priorities are and when you don't know what your true priorities are your true priorities are what other people tell you they should be or whatever your feelings tell you they should be in any given moment and so you're all over the place can anybody relate to this it's no wonder That as our, our nation has more prosperity and more options and more available to them, that our hearts get split and fractured even more. And so we become more unhappy because there's more division in our own heart because we can't get clear on the one thing that we want, the one thing that really matters most. I don't have time for that. I got time for all these things. I'm just speaking from personal experience here. It's so easy to like build our life on wanting a bunch of dumb things or wanting that like one dumb thing. And, and, and the, the world, people, we get so afraid. We're so afraid we're like not gonna succeed. We're, I'm not gonna succeed at this, at this thing. I'm not gonna be a success. The world's not gonna see me as a success. And you know, probably a much bigger fear that we should have should be that, that we would be a success at the wrong things. the wrong things so the first thing you can pull out your notes I I want you to write this down Uh, this is a tool I think that can really help us know our own hearts understand what Jesus is trying to do Um, and and here's here's what it is time goes where your heart flows time goes where your heart flows like Time's like water. It's always going somewhere. And in our life, time is flowing through our life, and we give it to what we want, and your heart distributes your time. It's like water. It's just flowing out of you. you And it can be split into all these different areas. It can be focused. It can be focused on a, a bunch of different dumb things, or one dumb thing, or the things that matter. When we say, I don't have time for this, we say, that doesn't matter as much as this. What matters most to you if you want to understand your heart look at your time if you want to understand your heart your heart I'm not talking to you to judge my life or your friend's life your wife's life today just put that to the side you can judge me next week what what does your time say about your heart my grandpa taught me this. He said, don't listen to what people say. Watch what they do. That will tell you more about what they want, what, they, what they're about. And unfortunately, sometimes fortunately, but unfortunately, when we can't focus and our hearts are divided, our habits are stronger than our hopes. You can hope to, to grow. You can hope to, uh, to have faith. You can hope to grow into the kind of person you, you want to become but I'm telling you your habits your time habits are stronger than your hopes for time no, the reason I've, I come to Jesus on this teaching what I want to really focus in on is this idea of a heart Jesus has all kinds of he's all these other really great teachings in the Bible they've got all these wisdom teachings on how to like learn how to manage your time better and how to think through the eyes of eternity and how to how to um be wise with your life make wise decisions and it's so important but but jesus before he gets to any of that which is important he comes back to our heart he comes back to our heart um uh, if, if you want to you can you can look at matthew 6 30 um Excuse me, Matthew 6, 33. I'm just going to give us a jump ahead a little bit in the sermon. I just want to hit this because it's just so important. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. We'll come back to the rest of that passage, but I just want to put that out there. Jesus could go in all kinds of, he could have taught on all kinds of like, you know, ways to like crush it with your life, ways to, you know, like organize, get the plant, the Jesus planner. And you, you know, he could have, you could have made a fortune on that stuff. And he didn't even write a stinking book. What does that say about leadership? Are the leaders the ones who write the books? I'm not saying it's bad to write the book. We, God wanted us to have a book, it's great. Jesus, like, he lived it. He was the example for us. And he doesn't focus on all those things first. He focuses on the one thing: seek first. That's what I want to. That's what I want to land on today. That's what this sermon's all about. And if you watch your time, you know where your heart is. When Sarah was pregnant, um, we were in a it was a really busy season. We were actually getting ready to move. Um, It was like the worst time to move, but like uh, just things in our life had lined up where that was the best thing to do. So we're getting ready to do that. We've got church. We've got uh, family. We've got all these things happening. And at that time, there was family health stuff going on too um, for people who are are in changing chapters and seasons of life and getting older. It was just a lot of stuff. And uh, Wes was gonna be born. And I remember... Sarah was like, well, we need to get this done. And she'd have a project and we'd start working on it. She's like, I'm going to go shop for it. And she'd be gone. She'd come back. And then she'd go do another project and come back. And she was always like on the run and on the move. I started noticing that my car started filling with like, like just in like the seats and the crevices, started filling with like these Burger King bags and wrappers for like a Whopper. She's not in this. She was in the last service. I can share about this. And... (laughs) And who knows? Maybe it was like a neighbor or a transient that would sleep that night and then stuff his food. And oh, one time Sarah's like, "I'm gonna go out and get some stuff," and I, you know, because I'm normally the one that does that. And I was like, "Hey Sarah, what are you gonna do?" And I pulled out one of her, bag, her Burger King bags. And she's like, "Where'd you get that?" <laughs> I know your heart. Where we put our time shows our heart. When, when in the '90s. In the '90s, uh, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, came on, and I'd been lived in California up to that point. We moved to Washington, near real close to Canada, and we're getting all these Canadian stations. And the Winter Olympics are really big up there. It's like they think it's the Summer Olympics, you know. And um, they have this sport I'd never seen before called curling. (laughs) Have any of you guys heard of curling? It's a sport. It's a real thing. It's in the Olympics. And, and basically these, I think it was Scottish people and Scandinavians uh, in the middle of winter didn't have a lot of things to do. So they came up with this game where they take these granite rocks and they slide them on ice. And they play like a game where they try to get who gets closest to like the dot. And it's a points, but it's a pretty basic, simple game. And I remember watching it for the first time like on this grainy, you know, uh, Canadian television right after the, you know, red-green show. <laughs> you guys know this. <laughs> and uh, here's what happens. They have, like, these guys or gals, and uh, they, they're on teams, and their job is to push the rock to get as close to this thing or knock someone out of the way. So they'll push this rock. So they have the rock pusher. He's like, ah, and he goes, and he slides with the rock, and then they let go. And, uh, and this is what happens when you're watching this. The rock goes. And this is the crowd. <laughs> hmm. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> and then there's someone furiously in front of this rock, this grand thing going, shh, 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 like trying to make the, the ice either more slippery or, le- you know, like they're furiously... And this thing's going and going, and, and then it lands. And, every, and everyone's, it's been the silent moment of total dullness. And everyone's like, yes, the rock slid. And we got hooked. If you wanted to know about the Bedlian family's heart, like during that season of time, it was all about curling. This concept of finding where our heart is most tied to, where our time is going, looking at your time to understand your heart is most depressing. And I found out that Apple has like a new uh, a new app or a new like dealio where you can see your screen time. Have you guys seen that? So depressing. So depressing. You look at it. I, would, I would say don't look at it, but what I, I actually want you to, take some time this week a time of just awareness you can take this challenge if you want and just start observing where are you putting your time what do you put your time into because if you were just to stand back and say like okay I'm just gonna observe myself what would you observe is most important by what you put your time toward now I want to keep moving forward. Um, the second thing on your notes, I'm going to, we're going to be covering this more in depth in another, in another sermon, but uh, I wanted to get this in our minds to make your time count, count your time. And so what I just talked with you about is just take some time to start counting your time. We'll start talking about like our actual priorities as we go through this series. We're going to be looking at some key things like how do we find rest in a restless, exhausted world, all that kind of stuff. But... Um, Take, take, to make, time, make your time count, count your time. Now here's where I want to land us today is this. The third point is thirst to put God first. Thirst to put God first. This is a worship issue. Jesus focuses on the heart before he, he focuses on the methods. And here we go, picking up in verse 30 of chapter 6, you of little faith. You of little faith. He's talking to the crowd that he loves he says but i love you but i gotta tell you you got little faith how does he know they have little faith well here's how don't worry saying what will we eat what will we drink what will we wear you're worried about all those things and it's revealing that your faith is so low and here's where he gets at the the heart of it he says for the gentiles eagerly seek all these things you know what what gentiles are it's us it's you and me unless you're jewish Anybody who's not Jewish, and in this context, it meant anybody who was not connected to the source of all life—the Creator God who created everything—is the source of life. And if you're not connected to the source of life, uh, that's a Gentile. That's 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 unhealthy. It's not good to not be plugged into the source of life. And he makes this observation: for Gentiles, eagerly seek. You could even replace that with the word want. The Gentiles eagerly want all these things. What do they want? What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. Like the security, um, taking care of themselves, provision, uh, status, uh, work, success. It's like all of, the, all of the Gentiles, all the non-believers, all people who don't believe and know God, they worry about the same exact things. And so when I'm coming here today, I know there's people that probably don't know Jesus that are here learning more about the way of Christ, the way of Jesus. And, and I'm, so, I'm so glad that you are. And it's, I'm so glad that like when you look at America, when you look at the challenges in America, like whether you're Christian or non-Christian, I think we all can struggle with worry. That's not like, a, oh, if you have faith, you don't ever worry, you don't ever struggle but Jesus is calling out specifically believers by saying the Gentiles, they worry about the same things. He's saying you, when you worry, when you walk into church and you worship and you walk out and say, man, God was so there in that church. God was so there in that Bible. And you walk out in the world and forget him and get worried and anxious. He's saying you are a func- acting like a functional atheist. You believe God in a moment, or a place in time, or a a geographical spot. But God doesn't exist outside of that because you're worried about the same things. And worry is your time. You're worried about this, you're worried about that. You don't have time for this, you don't have time for that. Because you don't believe that God is good and that God is here and that he's with you wherever you are. Your heavenly father, he knows what you need. Seek first The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be provided for you. God will take care of everything else. Just seek the one thing. What would it look like if we operated as if God were real? Like all the time. What would would happen to your worry and my worry? Your anxiety, my anxiety, anger, all that stuff. Um, Our time, not having time for this. What would happen if we all, whether you believe in God or not, let's just let's do an experiment here. All of us left this building and said, God's not just in this building. Um, God exists. God is good. And God loves us. He loves me unconditionally. He will provide for me. God is good and wants my good. What if we left here and acted as if for a full week? What would that do? to our worry and our anxiety what would that do do you know what counselors one of their primary roles is when they're dealing with someone who's like extremely depressed they're in like that tunnel vision they don't see there's anything outside this no one loves them they don't see um love hope a future and, and and counselors one of their jobs is to help them know like the reality that no you are loved and so sometimes they'll they'll say like what if you operated as if it was true that there are people who love you that you matter to and that you do have a future? What if you operated like that? But I don't feel like anybody, like I don't know if I could be vulnerable again because people have been in pain and hurt and there's reasons for like their distrust. But what if you operated as if there were people who loved you? Do you know what happens when people who have been struggling start to believe that there are people who love them? they open their lives to people who love them. They, they find out that people who love them exist. If you don't know God, what do you have to lose to try this experiment? You just might find out that there is a God who actually does love you when you're operating as if there is a God who loves you. So here's the last thing. Um, how do we learn to worship? How do we learn to worship? Um, how do we learn to thirst and to seek God? How, like, how do we do that? Um, there's this this verse. this is in psalms uh, sixty sixty three excuse me. And David has this moment where he teaches you and me in the middle of the wilderness, this guy's in the middle of the wilderness, life's not going well for him, and he worships God. Before coming up with a plan, before like talking to a bunch of you know, like, um, advisors on how he can crush it with his life, this is what David says. He says, God, you are my God. This is him teaching us how to seek God first. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, without water. Like I'm dying here. But God, I'm not going to anything else. I'm going to you. I'm going to you. I thirst for you. I realize that all these other thirsts and all the other places I could go and all the other mirages that are out there are just that. They're not going to be the things that satisfy my soul. I'm coming to you. There's an aspect of worship. There's an aspect of seeking that is thirst. It's like, I need you, God. When will we come to that point when it comes to the Lord? Because I'm telling you, when we start to focus our hearts on him, we stop looking at the gifts and we start looking to the giver, amen? He goes on to say, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. Worship is about focus. We follow what we focus on. People spend less time sometimes worshiping God because I don't have time for that. They spend less time coming to it like something like this or taking time during their day for personal worship, collective community worship, you know, like once a week or once a day for just a moment. And then they're like, I would, but I don't have time for that. When the reality is when you push away, Jesus is saying you, you don't have time not to do that. Like, like this is what it's about. You will have time for the rest of things that really matter if you focus on this. Let me ask you this. The person that God wants you to become... The person that God has created you to become, do you think that God has given you the time to become that person? Because I operate like I don't believe that a lot of the time. I got taken in my hands. I got to do this. I don't have time. When we trust in God, there is time to become who he asks us to be. We can rest in that. We can trust in that. But it starts with our worship life, thirsting, looking to God, and He says, "So I will bless you as long as I live. At Your name, I will lift my hands." And I got to finish. Well, I, was, I grew up in a church where we were, it was like the frozen chosen. Nobody ever like raised their hands. It was like the most emotion you'd see is when like Ruth LeBrie would pass out from standing too long at a hymn. People would rush over. You know, it was a real major moment. And, and David just, why does he raise his hands? That seems weird. Like his whole being is saying, God, I, I need you. So when people raise their hands, that's what they're doing. When we sing, he, he goes on to say, you satisfy me as with rich food. Like you're, you're, the, you're satiating the soul. You're quenching my thirst. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So when we sing to God, when we praise him, when we pray to him, it's an act of worship. It's refocusing the soul. And it's like the, our, our hearts that are fractured, it's like mending the, the, the fracture in our hearts so we can see clearly again. And it changes us. And and I, I would I would finish this our sermon with, with this. Um, what would it look like for you to just? take back time with God and say, God, I'm going to prioritize you, what would it set, what what kind of priority what it set for your families. Say, we're going to worship as a family. I'm going to worship in in our house. I'm going to worship, and my kids are going to see me worship, like whatever that looks like, Bible or prayer, but I'm going to prioritize this. What would it do to our our relationships that, that don't feel close or hearts that are hard and not open and what would it do to us if we were just saying, you know what? I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to look to Him. I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to lift my hands up. I'm going to give him everything, what would it look like? And this friend, he was telling me how angry he is at the world and he, um, it was a moment, of, was a hard time for him for 30 minutes. I hate this. I don't like this. Do you see what happened here and this person's an idiot? That thing was so dumb and I can't believe this and you're kind of an idiot here and blah, blah, he was just, you know, just it was like half an hour. I was like, I don't have any more time. I gotta, so I just said, hey, I, I heard all the things you don't like, the things you don't want, things you're worried about, you don't have time for this. You don't have time for that. What do you want? And he was like, well, I, I don't want, any, I don't want this. And I, I said, okay, I heard that. He's like, I'm angry at this. I'm, no, I mean, no, I got that the, the first two times. What do you want? And he couldn't tell me what he wanted. I think that's the symptom of the world we live in. We don't really know what we want because we've let the world tell us what we should want, but our feelings tell us what we should want. Our hearts are fractured. What's the one thing you want most? What do you worry about most? Where do you put your time? What do you want to want? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Would you help us to worship you today? Would you help us to want to want you? To thirst? To realize how badly in need we are of your grace? Father, would you set some people free today? People who don't have time for this. Lord, would you help them to make time for this? Jesus' name, amen.